I am the lead pastor here at Red Hills. So glad that you're here. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as we receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Worshiping through our finances is something that we do as worship. Uh, and so if you are someone who calls this church home, this is for us. If you're new, if you're visiting, please feel no obligation to give. This is just for people who call this church home. I have a few announcements for us as we get going. First is if you're new, uh, we have these things called connect cards. This is how we connect with you, hence the name. So they're, they're in the backs of the seats. Uh, if you want to take one of those out, fill it out and take it to the guest tent. The, the What is it called? The guest tent? Yeah, yeah, I got it right. Um, if you want to take it there, they have a gift for you, and uh, we'd love to follow up and connect with you. Also, if you ever have a prayer request, you can put that prayer request down in uh, the notes for that card. And we as a staff always uh, gather together every week, and we pray for those people by name. And so if you want some extra prayer for something, please fill that out, and we would love to pray for you. Uh, two announcements for us this morning. One is, the church, historically speaking, has uh, always provided aid to people who need help. When you look back on the history and the rich tradition of the church for healing, whenever the community had a need, it was the church that was the first to step up and to say, how can we meet that need? We have one of those opportunities now in our community for Edwards Elementary School. They told us that they have a need, that they don't have snacks for the kids, which I know sounds like a minor thing, but my son just started elementary school this year. He's in kindergarten now. And I thought about how sad it would be if it was snack time and some of the kids who could afford snacks in their home, they all get out their snacks, open their lunch boxes, and then your kid's just sitting there without anything to eat. And it was enough to make me want to cry. That's really sad. And I thought, what a simple way that our church can show up and meet a need that our community has is the way the church has always done. So we're doing a snack drive. Uh, you can find this on the website of lists of snacks and things that they are looking for. And for the next four weeks, you can bring those snacks to the church, and we are going to give them to Edwards Elementary School. So let's show up the way the church traditionally has, has always done in the name of Christ to help heal and serve our community. Amen? Awesome. Okay, so bring your snacks. Uh, two, the next announcement is a big one, and it's exciting. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and welcome up Pastor Kate Swanson to the stage and her husband, Tony. So if you have not yet received the email, well, I mean, you've received it. If you haven't seen the email uh, or if you haven't been on Instagram or social media, uh, you, would, you wouldn't know. But uh, we have decided, one of the things that I get to do as the lead pastor of this church, the thing I have the privilege to do is care for and appoint the staff that serves you. And I had the joy of this week being able to bring Kate Swanson into the role of executive pastor. So we are really excited about this. Um, I'll invite the staff up here as well. Um, yeah, so many of you probably know this, maybe some of you don't, but Kate has had a lot of responsibility around here. And especially, during, some of you are laughing because you're like, understatement much? Um, but during the interim period, uh, Pastor Aaron entrusted Kate with the, the role of staff lead to kind of oversee things during the interim period, and she has done an excellent job. Um, during my time, my short time here, I have observed Kate's natural leadership ability. Uh, she is everything that I am not in terms of what makes a good leading team, and so I'm really excited for our partnership as we pastor the church. Uh, her counsel, her advice, her uh, logistics and know-how of operations and HR and all these things that I'm like, I don't know, um, really, really helpful uh, for me in this season, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. It's been, it's been huge to have her um, uh, resourcing our church in this way. And uh, yeah, she's been doing a great job. And, and another thing is that Kate has always prioritized the call of God 
and the work of the Spirit. And that has been invaluable to me as well as we've looked at where is the church going, um, what, are, what are we going to be doing to serve people, how are we, we going to make it happen? It's always, what is God doing? And I've really appreciated how she's approached those conversations in that way, uh, and it's been, it's been huge. So I'm running out of reasons not to bring her into this role of executive pastor. And so we are going to take some time as a staff and as a church, if you want to, uh, uh, in, a, in a way that stands in solidarity, extend your hand forward to Kate. We're going to pray over her and her family as they continue to lay down their lives uh, for the church. And what I have said is in increasing measure. So let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful for Kate. And we're so grateful for everything that you've done in her life to, to bring her to this space that you have created her for, as the, as the scriptures say, such a time as this, that everything that has led to this point has been purposeful, that you have equipped her to be the leader that she is right now. We ask that you would bless her, that you would give her resilience and longevity and health as she continues to serve this church in an increased way. God, we are thankful, and we love you, and we lay this leadership and the staff and everything at your feet, and we say, God, would you move? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Kate is going to give the message today, which uh, you should all be really excited about because it's really good. All right. <laughs> it's okay. You want to pass the mic? Lane literally wants to pass the mic to me. Okay. So good morning, church family. Um, let me just say really quickly, I am just um, so honored to serve you. Um, I'm so grateful that I won't get off here, but I'm just grateful that I get this opportunity to love our church family. This has been home for me for since I started at George Fox 15 years ago. Um, my husband and I established this as our church home when we got engaged, and this has been home. And whether this is your first week or you've been here a lot, you know, 30 plus years or whatever, I love you, and I'm thankful for you. Um, I am extremely just honored. This this move has been um, really just covered in prayer. Um, I've had so many friends and family praying, and um, God has just revealed this is the next step for our family. They've, God's revealed to Pastor Lane, our church camp council, so many people who have pastored me and mentored me and, and stood beside me. And so um, I'm simply grateful. I'm grateful for this opportunity, and I look forward to serving you in this new way. So if you are new or maybe you're jumping back in, we are in the book of James. We are in the series of James Wisdom Lived Out. And I will be sharing from the middle of chapter 5 today. Pastor Lane was kind enough to take verses 1 through 6 last week, which we deemed as the proverbial slap across the face section. <laughs> and many of you shared the impact that it made on you and your heart the way it shifted your thinking about what the Lord was asking you to do in this season or how we view wealth or material things and the importance we place on it. And this week, we get to examine a passage that is titled Patience in Suffering. Yay! <laughs> how many of you like the word patience? How many of you like the word suffering? Yeah, that's what I, yeah, I know. I know, guys. Um, so let's smack them together and let's look at what James has to say. Uh, and while I'm joking in a sense, in our humanity, we try to avoid pain. We even try to avoid stopping and sitting and waiting patiently. Because if you're like me, when I stop is when I sense the pain. And when I study the scriptures for this specific message, 
I found myself being transported back to 2020 when we were isolated at home and the patience that I needed in that season. Now, stick with me. I know when we talk about these times, it's almost referred to as like the dark ages now, right? (laughs) But in the quiet space where we played more board games and went on more walks than our family had ever done, I promised myself I would never run at the pace I was prior to 2020. I had a jam-packed calendar and I was sprinting from place to place constantly. I was multitasking in the worst way, trying to fit in meals and run to the store and show up for my friends when there was no room in my schedule. And then fast forward two and a half years to last week where I looked at my calendar and I had three or more events every day. Uh, We kind of have our normal, at our house we have our normal work day routine and school day routine and then we had something every night of the week and I found my patience wearing very thin So this is my confession time with you. But in the last week, I've gotten increasingly frustrated and aggressively angrier at the car in front of me that will not move as fast as I want it to move, even though there might be another car in front of them that's not moving at the same pace. But that doesn't matter. (laughs) And I found myself annoyingly tapping my foot when I was at the Fred Meyers checkout line darting my eyes back and forth to see who would move and depart their check stand so I could go. And all these hurried and fast-paced movements had taken a toll on my heart and the posture towards those around me. And then I come back to the scriptures. I come back to the section in James where he talks about patience. So let's read this together. This is James 5, 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. When we look at these scriptures, we see an exhortation of three biblical examples and action steps in reference. So we're going to break these down. I even have fill in the blanks today, guys. (laughs) So if you're a note taker, world changers, I see you. Okay, here we go. They're on the app as well if you'd like to use that. So the first example is this. It is the farmer and is to be patient. When this passage shares about the farmer in verse 7, it talks about waiting for the fall and spring rains. In Palestine, early rains came in October and November, soon after the grain was sown, and then the latter rains came in April and May when the grain was maturing. Both rainy seasons were necessary for a successful crop. So let's put this into perspective in Oregon. Let's apply this idea of patience and harvesting to the wine country that we live in. Did you know there are over 700 wineries in the Willamette Valley alone? It is a seven billion, B with a, with a B, seven billion dollar industry statewide and eight million cases of Oregon wine are sold around the world each year. There are nearly 30,000 vineyard acres planted, 
and 40,000 employees that work in the industry, which includes tourism, wineries, wine tasting rooms, and vineyard employees as well. If you work in the industry, you know it's a painstaking process to get from vine planting to the first bottle. It can take three to five years. And it takes a large amount of patience to determine when to harvest the grapes in the fall. I spent some time talking with Tim Holtz in our church family this last week. He's leading a young adults group this fall with his girlfriend, Caroline. And Tim is the cellar master at one of the largest producing vineyards and wineries in the area. So I literally went to the master on all these answers. <laughs> and I asked him, how is harvest going this year? You may not know, but the majority of vineyards in this area dry farm, which means their crop is completely dependent on the elements. They do not use any kind of irrigation system. Talk about patience. So specifically for this year, there was snow in April, which everyone panicked. Uh, there was record-breaking rain in the spring, which caused early disease pressure, and the vineyards were too wet to drive a tractor, so they had to sit and wait. Tim shared they experienced more powdery mildew, which if you garden and all you know, powdery mildew is pretty, pretty common. Um, but they have to stop spraying two months before they harvest to not affect the wine's taste. They watch, and they wait some more. Lately, they've been dealing with these migrating birds this year. So they have sirens on their property because if a bird eats just one of the grapes, the entire cluster can go to rot. And then in the final days before harvest, they are testing. So they are testing pH and acidity. So if pH rises, sugar increases, acidity degrades. The sugar level has to be just right to be able to harvest. And it only increases a tiny amount each week. So they're waiting week after week after week. And then finally they decide, okay, it's time. Send the workers out. And Tim's winery actually processes 260 tons of grapes. 260 tons, it's a lot. And Tim said this year, their entire year, I should say, is dependent on this one month, which could pay off over the next four years, really crazy. Talk about patience. Talk about pressure. And Tim shared how we can go out during harvest season and every day and realize almost everything is out of his control. If the rains come, they have to react to it. If the fires come, like in 2020, they have to make weighty decisions in a matter of moments. This has been a very late harvest this year, and there's been so much anticipation, waiting for rain, waiting for grapes, waiting for anything but they can't pick early because it's just not ripe yet. At the same time, Tim mentioned it's been a little calmer this season because he's had so much time to prepare. So here's the point I want to make. We don't harvest until we see maturity. We are patient in waiting on the final outcome for the greatest good. Jesus literally describes the father as the vine dresser in John 15. Part of our role is to trust the father about when it's time to harvest and when it's time to wait. And ultimately, he is the one reaping the harvest. Our job is to be faithful in his leading and his discernment. We know he knows when there's going to be drought. He knows when the fires will come. 
and he has a plan. In the same way the cellar masters are thinking years ahead, our Heavenly Father knows how the story is going to play out at the end of the age. So let's go back to this action step. It's to be patient, right? And in the Greek, it's translated makrathimeo. And it is referenced as long-suffering patience towards people rather than things. This passage calls to believers to be patient until the Lord's coming, which truly the first century believers did not know how patient the generations would have to be because they really believed that Jesus was coming back during their lifetime. And so how do we live out this patience? James says it a second time in in this section of scripture. You too be patient and stand firm, which can be translated actually strengthen your hearts to be a strong inner person, ready and unmoved for the day of the Lord's coming is near. And patience is to be extended to those around us. This same section is quoted, don't grumble against each other. Our patience is twofold. It's for the outsider who oppresses and the insider who irritates us. This kind of grumble means to sigh. This speaks more of inner distress rather than an open complaint. What is forbidden is not actually what's out loud, but the resentment, the denunciation of others in our hearts. It's a deep, unexpressed bitterness or smothered grievance. I might have had some smothered grievance at Fred Meyer's, but we won't talk about that. So (laughs) James is urging us to prohibit the continuation of this hateful practice. And in our continuation of this practice, it would, if, and if we are to continue in this practice, It would result in judgment. It says our judge, our judge is standing at the door, ready to unlatch it at any time. James is reminding us to not get stuck in the trivial when the redemption of the whole world is at hand. Okay, the second example is this, the prophets. And this illustrates self-restraint. When we talk about the prophets, they face some serious trials. And pretty much every prophet was disliked and unappreciated during their time. These were representatives of the Lord who experienced affliction, yet responded in long-suffering patience. Jeremiah stands out as one of the prophets who exhibited self-restraint. He was put in the stocks, thrown into prison, and lowered into a miry dungeon. Yet, scripture tells us he persisted in ministry without bitterness. That phrase that I talked about before, be patient, uh, the makrathi male, it is also defined as one who does not try to get even for the wrong that has been done. When we talk about getting even or justice for ourselves, it can be easy to focus on what we think we deserve, what we think we're owed. Doing things God, God's way in regards to patience means we practice restraint where we could deal out judgment acknowledging that God is the judge, sitting in judgment of us all. The job of judgment is taken. Pastor Lane's been talking about this concept in James, so I won't go into too much detail, but I had a friend share with me recently their feelings of being an unbridled horse. We actually talked about this imagery earlier in James uh, in our speech, having self-restraint in speech, but let's put this into the perspective of our day-to-day actions. We can easily think that we are in alignment with God and where he wants us to be. And our everyday actions can maybe demonstrate self-centered hearts. We can 
easily deceive ourselves that we know what God wants for us because, well, it's good and it fits into our plans, right? But what if we were to look instead of being completely free, running free, right? Asking God to put on the bridle and put on the saddle and say, no, I want every part of my life to look like you. I want you to really lead me because you are good and you have good plans for me. It takes patience and self-restraint to humble ourselves to live as ambassadors of God's word. The third and final example is this. It's of Job and it's of perseverance. Job is our example of perseverance in difficult circumstances. So let's do a little history first. Um, Do you know that scholars believe that Job is the oldest written text in the Bible? That would mean our oldest book in scripture is one of suffering and open lament. Isn't that fascinating? Now, in this specific section of James that mentions Job, Job, like many of us, wrestled deeply with what it meant to be patient. There are a few times in Job chapters 12, 13, and 16 where he expresses his frustrations, even saying, but I desire to speak to God the Almighty and to argue my case with God. And then he goes on to tell his friends, you are miserable comforters, all of you. (laughs) Ouch. But this man had lost his sheep, his oxen, his camels, his servants, and all of his sons and daughters. He had experienced deep suffering. But the scripture states that Job did not sin in his lament. In verse 121, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It goes on to the next verse, and it says, In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. We always hear about the troubles of Job, but we often don't realize the rejoicing at the end. Scripture shares that God restored Job's fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. His extended family came and they comforted him and ate with him. They consoled him. And the latter part of Job's life was blessed more than the former. God restored his blessings and doubled his livestock. He had seven sons and three daughters. And it even says his daughters were beautiful, guys. And they, Job gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years, and he saw his grandchildren to the fourth generation. Wouldn't that be incredible? And Job died an old man, full of years. We look at this passage and wonder, how could Job make it through such tragic, devastating loss and still see restoration and goodness on the other side? I believe as humans, we will constantly wrestle with this idea of renewal. So we fight back suffering because it's painful. And in our lack of self-restraint, we approach difficult seasons with bitterness and resentment towards God. But what if he blesses the latter double than the former? What if you knew that on the other side, there would be a greater hope and greater plans? I'm not promising this. Don't Don't take me out of context here, but I often wonder if when we get stuck in our own circumstances with kind of this posture that God has left me 
and he doesn't care. But God is just there saying, I have something for you. Just hold on. The point is that whether or not we see deliverance on this side of eternity, we will see deliverance. When we review this section of scripture, we have to note that many of the Christians that James was speaking to were experiencing deep suffering. Many were martyred for their faith, and James would go on to be martyred for his faith. For them especially, it would be crucial to remember that suffering to the most extreme, even unto death, was not the end, and that the Father would work everything together for good. So we exercise long-suffering patience. We ask God to take control through self-restraint. And we persevere with a strong heart to see God's grace and kindness on the other side. I want to share this story of this jokingly sacred plant that we had in our office. This plant was actually gifted to Aaron and Brianne when they started at our church from their friends Zach and Laura Ballin, who were missionaries in Turkey. You might remember them. And so they ordered this plant online to be delivered to the office. And unknowing to them, it turned out to be a money tree plant, which is a very common indoor plant. And so, but the running joke was, if the money tree plant dies, then our church was really in trouble. (laughs) And so um, right before they went on sabbatical, we had moved offices. and, um, And when they left, I was entrusted taking care of this sacred plant, which had actually been neglected for a month in our move. And it had three leaves on it, just three. It was not in good shape. And I would say I was exceedingly nervous about taking care of this precious plant. Some of my other plants at home hadn't fared so well. So determined to keep the money tree alive, I seatbelted it in my car and drove it to the plant shop in town. At this point, it had lived in an office for seven years. And when this horticulturist inspected the species, he discovered that the plant was actually still inside the plastic container inside the ceramic pot. When he pulled out the plant, the roots were coiled and they hung down about six inches. So we picked out a larger pot. It was fertilized in new soil. And I was given instructions on how to care for it. And I seat belted it back in my car and took it back to the office. <laughs> and one month later, that three-leafed plant looked like this. And had sprouted all these new branches and new leaves. And it was thriving. And then one year later, it had grown to this. And had, was full of leaves. And this plant rate really made me think about the seasons of patience and the seasons of growth. This plant patiently waited, it's a plant, I know, but it patiently waited for years in a flower pot that it had outgrown. It had restraints on it in the square inches of soil that it had, and it was desperately trying to sink its roots deeper. But it persevered, even after being in such a tight space and being slightly neglected in our office move. But you know what? After all of the suffering (laughs) that this plant went through, it flourished on the other side. You see, a caretaker cared enough to move it out of the place that it was in into something new. Someone who 
lovingly was overseeing it, noticed it was suffering and gave it a place to thrive. I'm not sure if you're maybe in your life in a holding position. Maybe you're having to be full of patience. And maybe you are stuck in the middle of suffering. But I pray that you see these places with new perspective today. To be able to say, I know God has something good and planned on the other side. And with that, we come to communion. Jesus set the example of how to suffer well, even to the point of death. But like Job, on the other side of that journey, we are the ones that are gifted new life. Jesus did what he did so that he could deliver us into the harvest. One day, because Jesus endured and defeated death, and invited us into new life, our suffering will have meaning. It's pointing to a world that will be made right, a rich harvest. One day, because he endured all of this, it will be made new. This is why Paul writes in Philippians 1 that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Any suffering we endure is shared real estate with Jesus, even death. And in his death, there is a doorway into the harvest, more abundant and full of life than we can imagine. So if you'd like to, we're going to take the cup together, or take the bread together. We give thanks to the Lord. And we remember what he endured on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And he says, this is my cup. This is the new covenant of blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we know that the space of suffering is shared with you. We know that it's sacred ground. And even though it can push us to the edge, it can push us to our extremes, Lord, we know that you will come and sit with us, that you will help us in our patience and our self-restraint and our perseverance, even in the middle of dry seasons, in seasons of pain and seasons of asking you why and what's next. We know that you'll be with us and you will reveal to us your good plans. We pray that you remind us of this this week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>